on the simplest level, we try to not use the word budget. <laughs> Budgets have, as a word, has a rather kind of bad connotation to it, right? Budgets are always blown. There's always not enough budget. There are things, I mean, never comes under budget. That never happens. So instead of using the term budget with clients, we talk about investment. Like what level of investment do you want to make in this? And the term completely changes the conversation. Welcome everyone to Section Cut, our conference dedicated to the stories of leaders who are innovating on practice operations. Hi everyone, welcome back. My name is Nathan Malone and I am a product marketing manager here at Monograph. We're gonna hear personal stories and insider tips for building successful firms from folks who are living it out day to day themselves. And first we have Steve Pierce from Building Collective. Steve is going to be showing how his firm thinks about balancing this incredible kind of tension that architects often feel of balancing creative expression and professional service. Okay, Steve, how's it going? Good, Nathan. How are you? Going well. Really excited to have this conversation. So Steve, as I understand it, you built this business with a very specific mission in mind. Can you talk a bit about that and your yeah. history and share some of your background? No, absolutely. Yeah. So right now, Building Collective is a small design-oriented architecture firm focused mostly on custom residential single-family design. We're a team of seven right now, and we started Building Collective, myself and my business partner, 12 years ago. And prior to that, you know, most of, majority of my background and like internship experience was all with small, really kind of design boutique-oriented small firms. You know, I don't think the, the biggest firm I ever worked for was probably had about seven or eight people in it. All the places I worked were run by just these incredibly passionate architects and designers and just supremely talented. It was an incredible experience, but there was this one thing that seemed to be very consistent, which was a lot of our projects just didn't get built. And a lot of it was, you know, incredible design freedom, but in the end, the clients couldn't afford it or it just didn't match what they wanted. And so over, you know, years and years of work for me, emotionally, it just got really difficult because I felt like I wasn't doing my job. Like I was doing some incredible design work, but it was just difficult going into all these meetings going like, oh my God, I hope they like it enough to pay for it. And so when my business partner and I created Building Collective, we decided, you know, there's no reason why we can't make kind of the professional service, meaning like listening to clients and understanding what they want as a design input and a component into creating creative solutions for people. And really what we realized, a lot of it just came down to communication and also just understanding who our clients are and what they're asking for. Yeah, that's awesome. And especially coming off the back of the CVG session, I think that's really relevant. So I want to unpack some of the elements that allow your firm to be successful in accomplishing that. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit, we just came off a session where we talked a lot about client experience. Can you talk a little bit about your client experience and kind of yeah. the philosophy about you, how you handle working with clients? Yeah. So, I mean, I think something that we think about, and this is, it's kind of more of a psychological psychology type of thing. And so it's not terribly sexy, but it's really helpful for us, right? So because we're a firm that focuses on custom residential, we're dealing with a client base. When we say like, well, what does a client want and who are who is a client? It goes beyond kind of maybe their bullet point list of we need three bedrooms, two and a half baths. And it's recognizing that in single family residential, majority of clients in single family residential have never worked with an architect before. They've never been through a design process. 
they're entering a kind of an agreement to probably make the biggest financial investment of their lives. And there's just tremendous kind of emotions that come with that. So if you understand that your client is someone who's never been through the process, they don't have a design background, they've never worked with an architect, and there's this massive financial kind of investment component tied to it, it really helps you kind of place you in a mental space to engage them in the right way. So we do certain things like on the simplest level, we try to not use the word budget. (laughs) Budgets have, as a word, has a rather kind of bad connotation to it, right? Budgets are always blown. There's always not enough budget. There are things, I mean, never comes under budget. That never happens. So instead of using the term budget with clients, we talk about investment. Like what level of investment do you want to make in this? And the term completely changes the conversation. So it's just simple things like that. But we also kind of start using, you know, we meet with clients in their current home and talk to them about what works and what doesn't. But we also created a really kind of in-depth questionnaire that we started using Google Forms and it allows clients to answer questions on a scale of one to 10. How do they feel about privacy? How do they feel about the arrangement of spaces and that sort of thing? And so it allows them to really engage this on their own terms and own speed in terms of like their questionnaire. And we can kind of gain some depth into understanding just even how they answer the questions, you know, how they talk about things, what do they focus on? You get a better sense of who they are and how they might engage with the process. Yeah, that makes sense. And one thing that I hear you saying is that it's important to put yourself in the client's shoes. It sounds a lot like empathizing with the client. And I think that has implications beyond purely residential, right? Oh, absolutely. Without question. Right. And what we try to do through that questionnaire is we really try and find for ourselves and the client, you know, where are the creative opportunities for us and where can we really bring the client along and show them about this opportunity? Well, based on your budget, based on kind of what your goals are, yes, we can provide you the three bedrooms, two and a half baths, but hey, maybe there's this opportunity to do something else. Is that something you're really interested in? and get them engaged and excited about it. Because ultimately these clients want to get excited about this really cool, exciting thing that they're doing. And a lot of them are terrified by the process. They're terrified by the number of decisions they're going to have to make and they just don't understand it. So if you can get them excited about even the smallest things, you can then think, well, now I'm going to leapfrog you into something even better down the road, but I'm not going to overwhelm you with it now, right? So in that way, it's kind of, you have to understand that's like, it's a process. You're going to be in this relationship for two and a half years, like nine months of design, a year and a half of construction. So you don't want to hit them over the head all at once. I mean, there's just, otherwise they're going to be just completely like freaked out and not know how to talk to you. Yeah. At Monograph, sometimes we talk about like those small moments of delight as like sparking joy. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like how you guys do that during the process, maybe any point during the way, the time you're working with a client? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I think there's, you know, for me personally, the best architecture is the architecture that you can learn from over and over and over again. Meaning that you, when you experience it, you maybe get a few big ideas out of it, but the more you come back to it, the more, the smaller moments that you see. And the more you understand maybe how that designer was engaging or interacting with different things. And that's kind of how we try to embed our projects is, again, we talk to clients about the big moves first, and then we slowly kind of try to bake in a lot of these smaller moves. And the idea being that um, 
had a client that for, you know, after a year after they moved in, started sending me photographs of this the morning light coming through a transom window in their bedroom. And they were just like, oh, I had no idea that this is what it would be like. And it's like a year and a half later, and I'm still getting kind of these messages of like, oh, this is so cool. I didn't realize what you were trying to do there, but I kind of get it. And so recognizing that there's this time frame that the client is going to have to experience the places, you can then kind of begin to bake in these small little moments to hopefully they pick up down the road, maybe not. But it's those, yeah, it's like the small little kind of details that if you were to try to engage the client with it on a design basis while you're designing it, they would probably wonder like, why am I paying this guy to talk about me about this stuff? I don't care. And it's like, well, I need to communicate it to the builder to build it and it's going to get built no matter what. So let's make it maybe a little bit special and it won't cost any more to do it. So let's just make it nice. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think that's a good segue into my next question, which is kind of about transparency and how the project is going. Obviously, there's a huge amount of things that you need to communicate, like timeline, costs, delays, all that stuff. How do you guys get a clear picture of how your projects are going so that can be effectively communicated to the client? And how does technology come into play there? Yeah, I mean, it's technology and communication, right? And the technology without question helps. And so I'll speak to the communication component first and then kind of talk about the technology. Again, with our clients who have never been through the process before, they have no idea how their decisions impact cost and timelines. So it's inevitable that at some point in the project, they're going to get super excited about something and take you down this road and you're going to get excited about it. And like, this is awesome. Yeah, they're totally on board with it. They have no idea what it's going to, how it's going to impact things. So we're constantly kind of reminding and letting clients know like, hey, that's an awesome idea. Would love it. I can't tell you how much more it is. I just know it's probably 2x what you're going to spend. And we kind of make sure that the values, that those types of decisions support the values, their values. Do they find it important enough to spend the money on it? So that's a big component of it. And certainly the technological component of it, from our standpoint, is you know something that Monograph's helped with a lot is kind of the, the Gantt chart and just decision-making. When do we need to make decisions based on keeping projects on task and to hit our goals for permitting, hitting our goals for pricing, and when construction starts. And so being able to kind of share the Gantt chart that says, hey guys, we've just set up a three-month process. We're hoping that you know nothing's fixed. It can always move and flex and we can change it, but let's just know that there's these kind of critical components we want to lock in. Like, hey, let's get the design baked enough to have an engineer start. And um, you can always change it, but let's try and get everything baked in at this point because one of those things we talk about with clients at the beginning of every project are, what are you thinking to spend in terms of your investment? And when do you want this project done and completed and wrapped up by? Everyone's got a budget. Everyone's got a calendar in their head. <laughs> Either they've got kids starting school, they've got trips planned, they've got you know parents visiting from out of town or something. There's some sort of calendar life event that's going to impact them. And if we can figure that out and put it in the calendar, that's going to help everybody. I love that. And that's even building more empathy, right? Because you understand their deadlines. It's not just like, hey, this project isn't getting done on time. It's like, this is actually affecting my real life. Oh, absolutely. Like a lot of our clients, you know, they're renting. And so they're like, okay, great. I rented a house for a year. And you're like, okay, yeah, you might want to make it 18 months. And they need to know that, right? Not only like, you know, again, when we talk about like, what level of investment are you making in this project? Clients will say, well, we have this much money. 
Like, great. Now, does that cover the rent for your rental for the next year and a half? And they go, oh, crap. I didn't think about that. And you're like, yeah, okay, well, let's take that off the table. And now let's talk about how much money you have. <laughs> so you're trying to like get clients to really understand the big picture and the big impact of like, okay, when they say they've got a bucket of money, well, let's talk about what that needs to cover before we can talk about like construction cost. Truly educating them on the entire process, not just the design, but just like, what is your life going to be like for the next two years while we go through this process of design and construction? Totally. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And so we've talked a lot about client experience, how to really nail that. Obviously, the session is about balancing professional service and creative right. expression. So I want to, can you talk a little bit about how you're ensuring that you're not neglecting the kind of art of architecture and really being sure. able to make sure that your team has room for creative expression? Yeah. I mean, I think I started thinking about this when I had an opportunity to design a house for my parents when they retired. And it wasn't a slam dunk that they were going to let me even do it. <laughs> and it was, I had to kind of write a letter kind of petitioning them, be like, yes, please let me do this. They're like, you're just out of school. Don't, no, it's not going to happen. It made me realize that how you speak to people, who they are, what their background is, and how you speak to them about architecture matters. And it doesn't affect the architecture, meaning that our design teams, we can have really intense design discussions in our office about formal expression and phenomenal transparency. I mean, like the decorative- All the words. All the words, right? <laughs> that, like ad nauseum in the office. But if we turn around and have that, try to have that same conversation with a client and they have no architectural education, they're just going to be, look at us and be like, what the hell am I paying you for? We completely just kind of, we don't neglect those design things. We just change how we speak about them. And we can say, you know, we can talk about this in architecture speak, but this is really what this is about. This is about the relationships of spaces, how you move through space, those goals you outlined. This is how these things support those goals. And so we have those design conversations, but we just kind of retool it for the audience when we start engaging the client. And that's recognizing that, you know, and this kind of comes to like kind of a bigger philosophy about how I approach architecture, but, you know, there's not many professions that talk about that are described as practices. You know, you practice medicine, you practice law, you practice architecture, you don't practice physics, you don't practice chemistry. And so by understanding that it's a practice, that there is a continuum of work, there will be other projects, there will be other opportunities, you don't have to pack in every single design desire into every project. It's like, no, okay, this project, we can only get in three out of the 10. Great. Maybe next time we'll refine it and hopefully we'll get that next client that really wants to like take this thing somewhere else. And so it's recognizing that there will always be more opportunity to do more work. And you don't always have to think of every project as being the last stand for, hopefully this will be the one that makes like, you can plant your flag in and like hit it big. And it probably makes sense that those conversations up front really allow you to pick your spots as far as how much leash you get, as far as like the creative expression that you can do. And it's kind of, you have these young employees that come in and just out of school, they're super excited and you have to tell them like, listen, this isn't, we're not going to hit it out of the park on this one, but maybe we can focus on this one small moment and make it really nice. You have to, you're going to have to let that go. And like, it'll get built. It's going to be great. The client's going to love it. And um, 
but let's champion this, maybe this other moment rather than trying to hold a strangle, like have a stranglehold on the whole project. You know, so we do have clients that are like, Hey, just the builder and I are going to like take this thing and run with it. And you're like, Oh crap. Well, maybe if I can just work on this one thing, they can't mess that up. (laughs) And you try to make sure that the project is really, is will still be kind of good for them in the end. You know, I think one of the things that we really focus on and it becomes kind of our pitch for when we talk with clients and it's, it helps that we, you know, we've, we've been working on this for like 12 years. So it's not like our first projects were like just home runs or anything like that. Our big emphasis was just getting things built, you know? So when we talk with clients, it's like, we can tell them like, yes, we do creative design work, but we can also make sure that you get something built in the end. And that's really our goal. So in like 12 years of work, of custom residential work, we've had maybe only three projects not get built, which is a really good track record in the custom residential design world. And we're pretty proud of that. You know, maybe not every single one is going to get published, but you know what? We've got some super happy clients that are going to give us some awesome referrals. And ultimately that's how we get more work. That's a super impressive track record. Congrats to you guys. So I have more questions, but I, we only have five minutes left. So I want yeah. to dive into a little bit of audience Q&A. So feel free to submit your questions. We have one. So this person is anticipating that, of course, not all clients are super cooperative and rock star clients. How do you handle some of those challenging moments that are sure to come along or clients that aren't willing to really make those decisions that you referred to earlier? Yeah, I mean, I think we try to emphasize that we are designing to the values, to their values. A lot of times people come to this thinking that the architect's not going to listen to me and I'm not going to get what I want. And so we emphasize to them before the conversation design starts, like, if we can understand what's invaluable to you, we will design to that. So that you have to kind of preempt it. It's inevitable you might have clients that are very pushy and say, just design what I want. I gave you the sketch, just do that. And oftentimes you just have to be like, okay, no problem. And you do it. And you might know that it's going to be terrible and it might be a total mess. And you can just say, okay, or you can say, well, I'm happy to do it. Just recognize that these might be some of the issues that will come up and you kind of move forward. Ultimately, if that client then learns to trust you and that you're not being pushy, they will probably come around, you hope and recognize that you can be an asset to them rather than a hindrance or something that's wrong or going to hurt their project or hurt their budget. Yeah, there's definitely a give and take there. Another question is, you guys have been around for 12 years, but I'm, I'm sure that you're thinking about how to continue to evolve and really strike this balance even better. What are some steps that you guys are thinking about as, as far as the future goes? Yeah, I mean, I think we're always trying to improve ourselves and trying to improve what we're doing. I think, you know, when we created our firm, we didn't call it like our last names. It's not Steve Purse, Chris Gray Architects. We truly saw it as a kind of a collective body of people. And that that collective is also all the consultants and the client, everyone comes together. So for us, as we grow, we're just trying to figure out just how big we want to grow. That's kind of one, one of our struggles right now but also making sure that our employees are just as empowered in the decision-making about what's happening in the office. So we're incredibly transparent with all of our employees about our business. You know, we very much talk about like, it's inevitable that employees will come and go. It's just the nature of our of architecture. 
And our goal is to kind of show them what we're doing so that if they do go out on their own, they can be as successful as we've been. So we truly try to say like, if they've got questions on marketing, if they've got questions on software, if they've got questions on how we set up our contracts, we're, we let them all know because if they understand our mission and they can learn from it, that can make them better professionally down the road. So for us, we kind of very much feel like we're just open book. Almost with like, if any architect wanted to ask me how we set up our contracts, I'd tell them. They're not going to be competition. So we try to break down, like a friend of mine described it as like, architects often feel like it's like the prisoner's breakfast, right? They're at the table and they're kind of like looking over their shoulder. And if someone tries to ask them a question, they're going to like stab them or something like that. And it's just like, it's just kind of ridiculous. It's like, there's no reason why we can't be more open and talk about like, this is how I'm running my business. It's been successful. What, how is it going with you? <laughs> um, there's no real school that teaches you how to actually run an architecture firm. You have to kind of, it's all trial by fire. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And I think that's one of our main goals here at Section Cut to have, have those open conversations. Thank you, Steve, so much for participating in the session. Really enjoyed this conversation and all the insights that you shared. I'm sure the audience can say the same. Hey, it's Sylvia from Monograph. Thank you so much for joining us here. At Monograph, we're building the number one practice operations platform for small to mid-sized architecture firms. Monograph is designed for architects by architects. Over 450 practices are using Monograph today to run the business side of architecture. You can start a free trial or sign up for a demo today at monograph.com. Find out what a practice operations platform like Monograph can do for your firm. Get started at monograph.com. Talk to you soon.